0: Welcome to the official podcast of Rock Hills Church in San Antonio, Texas. This week, Pastor Dave Lance begins our new series, Enough, in which we'll explore how generosity grows out of contentment. Follow along in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Join us Sunday at 1031 a.m. as we continue this series and look at some practical ways we can be faithful with the resources God has given us. Visit rockhills.com to learn more about our community and how you can be involved in what God is doing at Rock Hills. FWP ever struggle with that I do I got my own FWPs Uh, like for instance I can get frustrated in the morning when I head down to the refrigerator and I open it up and there's the gallon of milk with it's basically empty there's no milk in it and so what do I have to do I gotta go out to the garage to my other refrigerator to get a fresh gallon of milk so frustrating and this time of year um you know, there's just so much going on and we gotta start setting up decorations, right? Thanksgiving, Christmas is coming, so what does that mean? I have to take a trip up into the attic and it's so, it's either hot up there or it's cold up there and when I'm walking to get the Christmas stuff, I gotta walk past all this other junk that I have and every time I go up there, it's like, why do I have all this junk? But I know I'm never gonna do anything with that junk because that means I gotta take it out of the attic, right? So if you ever buy my house, you're gonna have a bunch of junk in the attic FWP, we all have things that frustrate us. Now, here's the deal. We're gonna talk about contentment. Oh, thank you. (laughs) It started, it started. Not yet, all right. Um, We're gonna talk about contentment today. How can we pursue contentment today, right? Because we all know what discontentment is. We live with it 24-7, So what is contentment? Quick definition, it's a deep internal satisfaction that isn't dependent on external circumstances. So contentment means that I have this deep sense, this deep satisfaction that's not dependent on all the things around me. Don't you want that? Yeah, I want it too, but it's not easy to get, is it? because we're always connected to the stuff that's happening around us. Circumstances often define our mood and how we feel and what we think about ourselves. And especially in our culture, where we live in a culture 24-7, where we're getting advertisements and we're getting messages that are telling us this. One primary message. Either you aren't enough, you are not enough, or you don't have enough. Every day we're confronted with that. I don't have enough. I'm not enough. Because these messages are telling us, you can be happier, you can be healthier, you can be better, you can achieve more, you can live better, you can have a much, you know, a sweeter house, a sweeter car, a better investment portfolio. You can have all these things. And so it creates this discontent within within us. And when we hear those messages, a lot of times, what do we say? We say, yeah, yeah, I don't have enough. I need something more, right? I deserve better, right? And when we feel like that, when that's our, our, our mental uh, you know, kind of framework, we're going to be discontent. We're not going to be happy and we won't have contentment. All right, so one thing, just kind of a pause, because discontentment isn't all bad, right? There are times where discontentment actually leads us to improve our life or the world around us, right? I mean, why do you think so many people came out to vote this last week? Because people are discontent with our current politics. I mean, that's just, that's just the truth, is when we're discontent, we do stuff. We solve problems, like when we notice that there's a water problem in the world, right? We, are, we have a discontentment that leads us to bring clean water. We have a, a group of people, Mark Smith And a team are down in Honduras bringing clean, fresh water right now as we speak this week. Discontentment leads us to solve poverty problems and fight disease and do all these kinds of things. To make important changes in our lives where we say, hey, I can be in a different place. That's not bad. But when you and I live with discontentment, when that is our mood on a day day in and day out basis, it's not good, right? It's not healthy. People really shouldn't want to be around you. I mean, have you ever been around discontent people? I mean, a lot of times when you're in a group of discontent people and you're discontent, you don't even realize. But when you notice, when you start to notice, wow, look how negative this person is. You realize this person is not lifting you up, it's not, this person's not helping you, instead you're stuck. So discontentment as a lifestyle doesn't work. All right, I've been that person, you have too. But today, we're moving toward contentment. We wanna pursue it together. Um, I call these people the people of ifs and buts, right? If this this would have happened differently or this happened, then it would be so much better, right? Uncle Rico from the famous movie Napoleon Dynamite He was one of those ifs and buts guys. He's like, if the coach would only put me in in the fourth quarter, we would have won the state championship and my life would be completely different. Instead, he's chucking footballs in mountains and I don't know what else he's doing in the movie. All right, so you know the old saying, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we would all have a wonderful Christmas, right? So no excuses today. We're gonna pursue contentment together. So how does God teach us about contentment We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Here's what Paul is teaching Timothy. Timothy's a young leader in the church at this point. Here's what he tells Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Okay, godliness with contentment. Now, Paul knew something about that. Now, just a a a few quick comments about their culture. As Paul is sharing these words with Timothy, they're in Ephesus. This was one of the major cities of that day. And you can think, "Oh, that's 2,000 years ago, that's an ancient city. I don't know how much in common we have with that city, Ephesus. I don't know if Paul's words relate you know directly to my life or not. But what you have to understand about Ephesus is it was incredibly um, you know, just a I mean, they had money, they had wealth, they had riches, it was a trade center, it was prosperous, and people were pursuing more than enough. They're like, we gotta have more. I don't have enough. That was their lifestyle. And so in that, in that place in Ephesus, there was this temple called the Temple of Artemis. And I think we have a picture here. This is the ancient ruins of Artemis. This, in the ancient world, was one of the seven Wonders of the world. It was this incredible place. You know, high above Ephesus. It was outside the city. But it's a place that people would come to worship the goddess Artemis. And Artemis was, you know, as common as many of those gods in that day. The god of fertility and success and enough. And if you give your worship to Artemis, then most certainly your life is going to get better. So Artemis... This whole temple area is really what drove the economy in Ephesus. I mean, all kinds of things were tied to it. They had trade and things were being sold. It was very consumeristic. But Artemis played a role in all that. Now, what's interesting is um, Paul, there's a scene in Acts 19 where Paul, he's out and he's sharing the message of Christ. He's talking about how there's contentment and life available in Jesus And so he's saying to people in Ephesus, you have to turn away from these other gods, which really aren't gods at all, okay? So Paul's sharing that message, and people are coming to faith to follow Jesus. They're saying, yes, I want that kind of life and that kind of contentment. And uh, what's interesting is one of the chief steelmakers who would make shrines to Artemis he started bringing craftsmen together and saying, listen, there's this guy Paul and these other people that are talking about this person Jesus, this God Jesus, and they're saying, you need to turn to this God Jesus and turn away from false gods like Artemis. And he said, we make a good living, right? So what Paul was saying was directly in the face of their consumeristic society, and so what's interesting in that story in Acts 19, you can look it up for yourself, is this, uh, this, uh, this, this guy who's very wealthy, he brings all these craftsmen together. He starts sharing this message, and he just basically creates this uproar in the city, and they all go into the theater area. I mean, it's just packed out with people who are going nuts, and they want Paul. And so they drag two of Paul's associates, um, Gaius and what was the other, Aristarchus, they're dragged into this theater area, and it's an, you know, the cr- crowd is outraged. It says there are even people there that don't know why they're there. They're just there because something's happening. They're caught up in the crowd. And what's funny is Paul hears about this, and he's like, okay, I'm gonna go to the theater, and I'm gonna talk to these people. I mean, is that like nuts? He's either absolutely nuts or he's completely content in God. And his friends are like, no, you can't go there. Don't go to the theater. Anyway, it got resolved. But Paul, when he talks about godliness that brings contentment, it really does go in the face of all that our world says is important, right? And so for us, as we pursue contentment, what does that mean for us as we live in a culture where our God is consumerism here in America? I mean, we're bombarded with the messages. You and I, we shop online virtually every day, don't we? I mean, we get emails. I just I hate going through my email box because it's just every morning all these messages about sales and everything else, right? And yeah, before you know it, I'm clicking, I'm, oh, I need that. Oh, that would, that would make our house better. That would make my life better. So we, we face that on a daily basis. How do we pursue contentment? All right, here's the first thing that we have to know if we're gonna pursue contentment is contentment is a choice. It's a choice that you and I have to make daily. It's not something that's going to come to us. It's Contentment's not simply going to find us or grab us. We have to make a choice that we're going to pursue a life of contentment and godliness. Now, God is the one who who draws us in, and he shows us the way, and he gives us that deep sense that we can't get ourselves, but you and I have to make a choice to pursue it. All right, so how do we make that choice? How do we do it. Because when we begin to make that choice, um, we learn that there's a different perspective on our world, right? I mean, every day, consumerism, chaos, and we've got all this stuff going on. We don't feel very content. We got to choose it. And when we choose it, we're like, okay, there's a different perspective to live by. It's available for me. And it's God's perspective, and God's perspective is this: is that our world is temporary. All the stuff of this world, or most of the stuff of this world, is temporary. People aren't temporary, but all the material stuff is temporary. It's not eternal. And so as we make the choice, we're, we're saying, "God, I need you to help me discern what's important. What's temporary? What's not temporary? What's a value? What's not a value? And where should I put my energy and attention today? How can I choose to focus my life and my energy and my heart on what matters and what lasts? Here's what Jesus said about it. In Matthew 6, he said this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now think about that just for a moment. It's a powerful picture that Jesus uh, creates for us. And you know, we're all, you know, we start thinking, okay, what what is temporary and what's eternal in my own life? But he says, focus on the things that last. Because then you're building something that you will be connected to forever, not something that's gonna rust or get destroyed or fade away. And this is hard for us, isn't it? Because we have busy lives. We live in a busy world. So every day we get up and most of us work. I mean, we're working either in a job or we're working at home. Whatever we're doing, we got stuff to do. I mean, we're going fast. We have lists to cover. More than we can handle, right? And it's very easy to become consumed by our work or the things that have to get done on a daily or a weekly basis. But the question is, are these things eternal that we're putting our energy into? What's going to last? Now, I've, I've sat, I've done a, you know, many funerals, and I've sat with people at the end of their life in their last days, their last weeks. And I can't think of one occasion as I sat with somebody who was preparing to die and they had questions about faith and were looking forward to eternity if their hearts were were set. Um, I can't think of one person who said, I wish that I'd put a few more hours in at the office or spent more time in my work or accomplished more. I've never heard that from anybody who's near death. They always talk about people. They talk about relationships. They wish I could go back. I wish I would have had that time with my kids. I wish I could have done this differently in this relationship. It's the things that matter, the people that matter, the opportunities that we have to do stuff that's eternal, that Jesus wants us to focus on. And it's a choice that we make every day. Now, I, I also, um, this, is, uh, this is so Convicting for me, and maybe you can think of it in your own context. But this is a story I read years ago. I was in school to become a pastor in graduate school, seminary, and I read this article in a magazine. It was um, it was an article by uh, a pastor's kid, and uh, and I don't know if the other brothers and sisters added to the article or not. But the story was this: their father had died. He was a pastor for many years. And it's a story of the visitation time and the funeral. And so this gal wrote the articles you know, in line with the family, with their brothers and sisters. I think there were four of them. And they're hearing all these people as they come through the line who are part of the church, who had been pastored by the dead, talk about what a wonderful man he was, what an amazing pastor, how he was there in this you know, part of their life, and it was you know, this and that, and all these things that were going on at church, and he was there. You know, Lights were on, he was there. Lights went off. He, you know, so he was there all the time. And at that night, after the visitation, the, the siblings, as they got together, they started asking each other, who was that guy they were talking about? We never experienced that kind of relationship with our dad. He was never at our events. He was always gone. And that hit me. Because obviously ministry deals with eternal things. And there are many sacrifices that get made in ministry. But what's most important? And for me, one of my chief priorities is my own kids. And who they are and their faith and being a part of their lives. It's so easy to miss it in. Jesus tells us, along with what Paul is saying, contentment is something that you choose. And you can only receive you know, this life of godliness and growth and contentment as we focus on what's most important, what's eternal, not temporary. All right, so how do we learn to ignore those things that aren't eternal, the temporary things, and instead focus on the very best things in our life, the most important things. Because this is, I mean, this is a daily fight that we have. It's a daily battle against consumerism, chaos, all the stuff that's part of our life. And here's what Paul says later in Philippians. Now this is what's cool, is Paul, as he shares these words, he's in prison. I mean, it's not like his life is awesome. He has lots of people against him. He's in prison prison kind of waiting trial and here's what he says about this daily focus on what matters most what's eternal not temporary he says this rejoice in the lord always i will say it again rejoice now let's stop here for a moment he doesn't just say get some joy he says rejoice in the lord always i'm going to say it again rejoice and then he goes on to say this isn't up on the on the text But let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He's with you. And so I want you to pray. You know, give petitions to God. Take everything you have. If you're anxious, go to God. And then he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will be yours in Christ. This choice is something that we need to grab a hold of on a daily basis. Here's how Paul continues. So he's in prison. Listen to these words. He says, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Choose contentment today and God will be there and give it to you. Make it a priority. And then he continues and he says this. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Paul's got a secret for us. How do we get contentment? He says, I can do all things through Christ, who gives me strength. So that's the starting place for us. As we say, God, I I need more of you, I want your contentment today, to know that Christ gives that contentment. The Lord is near and available for us. And we're all anxious about stuff, right, right? When we start looking at Monday and what's gonna happen this week, there's anxiety that starts to build. He says, don't be anxious. Allow the Lord to give you his peace, all right? Now, this sounds good, um, but we all know that it's not easy, right? Because there's stuff in our lives, there's all kinds of pressure that's coming this week, there's chaos, I mean, All I have to do is come into my house. I've got three kids. There's chaos. I mean, stuff breaks out all the time. Chaos. I was just thinking about this yesterday. Contentment. God. My external environment is not gonna give it to me. Contentment. God, only you can provide it. And we all have that. Whatever our our life is like, whatever we face we choose it. Now, here's the, a powerful thing about contentment as well. We choose it, and also, contentment, here's the beautiful thing about it, is it protects us from wasting our lives on things that don't matter, right? When we're pursuing it, when we're seeking it, when we're you know, asking God to give it to us, contentment protects us from the other things that are gonna deceive us, they are gonna trip us up, they are gonna tempt us, Right, and all those things are out there. Um, All right, the love of money. Here, let me just just think about the first verses that we read. He says this. Those who wanna get rich fall into temptation and trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. All right. We know that reality in our culture. It's out there for us. There are many potential griefs before us. Um, I, I, just, I came across this story this week, and it's such a powerful story. Uh, and I just gotta share it with you. So Demarius Thomas, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos. Now, I just, some guys just woke up. You're like, Demarius Thomas, Fantasy football stud. I mean, this guy, you're like, is he on the, like, is he questionable for today? Do I need to check my lineup? Okay, so Demarius Thomas, maybe you haven't heard his life story. It's incredible. Um, when he was 11 years old, you know, very poor family growing up in Georgia, 11 years old, he's woken up by this, you know, huge uh, you know, movement of police into his house. I mean, with all the gear on, these, you know, police come in on a drug bust, and, and he knew what was going on, and so he's in his bed, there's police all over the house, they're ransacking the house, looking for stuff, his mom's in handcuffs, and his grandma, and it turns out, his grandma had started dealing crack, cocaine, and so, I mean, he, he kind of saw, he saw, you know, people coming in late at night, and just odd stuff, and his mom was helping the grandmother deal crack cocaine. And so uh, his mom and his grandma were taken away to jail. Now, there's, he, he says, um, he, you know, the guy who's interviewing Demarius is like, what's the most memorable day of your life? Is it catching a touchdown pass from Peyton Manning or you know, all these different things in your football career? He says, no, the most memorable day of my life is when I was 11 years old and the police came and they took my mom and my grandma away because they were, they were doing wrong. And so uh, he, he remembers that morning, his mom in handcuffs, walking with the police officer out to the bus, and she, you know, his mom saying, you have to go to school today. I love you. Get on the bus. And so he gets on this bus. Could you imagine? Riding with all these kids. And so he thinks back to you know, this time of his life, 11, 12, 13 years old. His mom's in prison, he got to see her, you know, a few minutes each month. And then, you know, he was angry. He was, I mean, just beside himself. He didn't understand. I mean, his mom could have got a reduced sentence, but she didn't, she, she, you know, she was unwilling to throw grandma completely under the bus. And so there he is without a mom. He's getting bounced around. Finally, he ends up living with an uncle. And then he spends years not going to see his mom. He just didn't want to see her. And he's in college now. He's playing college football. Um, He's having a great career. He's been sorting through this. Through this time, living with his uncle, his aunt and uncle were very disciplined people. They were part of a church. And Demarius came to faith. He he made a commitment to follow Christ. He he wanted to live a life that wasn't full of, of anger or destruction. In fact, today, I think he has a tattoo of Jesus. It says, Jesus saves on his arm. And so in college, they're playing Florida State. His mom's in a prison right near Tallahassee. He decides, I've got to go see her. I haven't seen her in years. I'm going to go see her. And he ends up spending a few hours with her that day. as She walks him through the whole story um, and you know, how sorry she was and all that kind of stuff. And he made a commitment, a choice that day to forgive her. And to let it go. And Demarius began learning that his contentment, um, it didn't come from life. Even today, he says, it didn't come from football success. I love the game of football. I, lo- I love what we're doing. But that's not where my content- contentment comes from. It can only come from what God provides. And what's interesting is out of that contentment, which has helped protect him from all these paths of destruction that he could have chosen. Contentment has, lead, has kind of led him to a vision now for his family. See, his mom's gonna be out of prison here in a couple years, and he's, I mean, he's about to get a big contract. He wants He's gonna buy big property someplace in Georgia, and he's gonna build multiple houses so that his family can be together really the first time in decades, because that's eternal. All these other things are temporary. We all have our stories. We have pain that we've been through, and we have choices. If we're going to pursue godliness and contentment, we've got to forgive and we've got to let some things go. If we're going to allow contentment to protect us from paths of pain or destruction, we've gotta keep making that choice. All right. So how is godliness with contentment great gain? I mean, how, how do we truly experience that? Well, it's like what we've been talking about. It's that choice that we make. It's knowing that contentment will protect us because God is with us. He'll give us what we need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But here's the other beautiful thing about contentment. Contentment creates something inside of us. Yes, there's peace and joy, but there's generosity that begins to build within us. Because when we're content, what do we recognize? We recognize when we're content that I have Enough. I mean, all that stuff that I feel like I should have or I deserve to have or need to have, I realize most of that stuff's not important and I realize I have enough. And when we realize we have enough, generosity begins to grow within us because then we're like, if I have enough, I can share. I can share with other people. There are people who are in more difficult places than I am. Generosity comes with contentment. Um, I mean, we, we see that in places like I already mentioned. We have uh, you know, guys that are in Honduras this week. And when you go to a third world country, um, you realize that people have a kind of contentment that we don't have. Because all this stuff that we're pursuing all the time, they don't even think about. And so, it's, I mean, it's so humbling when you sit down With somebody in a village Who has basically nothing compared to us And yet whatever they have If you go to their house Or if you're together with them They're pulling out all the stops Anything they have to share They're bringing it And they're being generous with it And there's something beautiful about that And when you and I are content We're generous And we realize we have enough We have more than we need And we can share with others. Um, I mean, that's what we're going to be talking about all month: is how can we allow our contentment um, to become great generosity in this community, in the city of San Antonio. Um, and that's the cool thing: is you know, being a part of a church, Rock Hills Church, being a part of a faith community. There are so many incredibly generous people around. Now, you may not feel very content today, but this is a generous place. And we all have the opportunities to live out our generosity through this place. So really, I have uh, just a few suggestions for us as we close things up today. If you wanna be content, um, here are some suggestions on how to pursue it this week. Already, we've talked about it's a choice, right? Right? Contentment protects us from things that'll harm us and wasting hours of our life. And contentment leads to generosity or overflows with generosity. So here are three things that we can do. First thing, let's go back to rejoice in the Lord. Remember how Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Think of excellent things. Here's what I would love for you to do. Maybe some of you should wanna do this tonight. Take 15 or 20 minutes and take out a piece of paper or pad of paper and write down the good things, the excellent things that you know are a part of your life, the things that matter most. I bet if you sit down and you give yourself a few more than just a couple of minutes, if you take some moments and sit there, you're gonna start to fill that piece of paper with some things to rejoice in. You know what? That leads to contentment. It shows us what's most important. Secondly, um, Maybe some of you will want to fast for 12 to 24 hours, okay? So uh, for those of you who are diabetic, don't fast, okay? But 12 to 24 hours, that can be food. um, I mean, obviously, you got to drink some water and you can drink some juice if you need to. Or you can just fast from something that's a normal part of your life, something that you do every day. And it's like, okay, I'm going to stop that. Now, here's the powerful thing. I mean, I can't tell you that, I mean, I, I fasted in my life, and I don't have these, like, dramatic experiences of God. <sighs> that doesn't happen. I, I, and I'm often quite hungry. <laughs> but what it reminds me of in those times is that God is present. And usually when I get through the, the first meal or so, and then, you know, dinner's hard. Um, but at night, you know, if, if I get some quiet space, it's like, it's, it's amazing. I mean, there's just a quiet and there's a a sense of God that's a little bit different from the normal pace of the day. And it reminds us that there are things that we don't need. And we can be content with what we have and allow God to show us what's most important. So you may wanna do that. The third thing is um, make a commitment to give some money To help somebody else. You can give it to the church. You can give it to somebody who's in need. I mean, maybe you just think here for a moment. Okay, what am I discontent about when I think of somebody else's life? What makes me feel like that's not right? And give to it. Take care of something. Give some time to it. Be generous to help that person, to help the church, to help that organization. Because the funny thing is, when we're generous, oftentimes it feels really good because it's like, yes, I did something that's gonna last. I shared some resources that are gonna help somebody and make their life a little bit different and maybe they'll find some contentment today and you and I can be a part of that.